I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So some things are the same, but most things have changed. Same races, different times of the year and different routes. And many of the same teams and riders dominating so far, but with some surprise winners along the way and some favourites sidelined by crashes or lack of form. So what's it like to be back racing in the middle of this pandemic peloton? Groupama FDJ rider and rouleur contributor Jacobo Guarneri tells us about getting back in the saddle in this strangest of seasons. And 84-year-old Norman Lazarus is still riding mileages which would shame people half his age. He lets us into the secrets of healthy, active later life. This is Ruler Conversations, supported by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Jacobo Guarneri comes from one of the regions of northern Italy hardest hit by the Covid virus. Currently riding alongside Arno De Mar in Groupama FDG, Jacobo seized on lockdown as a rare chance to rest with his family and reassess his future in pro racing. And now he's back, readjusting to a sport which is very different, but also familiar. To be honest, like I was expecting to be more um, kind of shocked or... Anyway, like in a weird uh, moment, but straight away when we pinned the numbers over our jerseys, it was uh, back to normality, you know, like the, the usual feeling, of course, uh, especially in Burgos was the, my first race. Uh, it was a little bit different, the approach of, uh, you know, the signing and, um, you know, the public is not close to you. But uh, once once you jump on the bike, you just feel like uh, you never stopped. You were never away from racing for a few months. So um, I think it's a capacity from every athlete, you know, just to be focused on what we are doing uh, instead of just thinking what just happened. So, yeah, strangely, it was kind of normal, I would say. Uh, what are the big differences? What are the things that you really notice? In Burgos, I have to say, was I was feeling way more the situation. Because we had some, uh, um, I would say, more restricted rules compared to the races we did in Italy, especially. One thing that uh, really hit hard on me was uh, the fact that we could not show bidons uh, to the to the people, to the public. So we had to keep the bottles for ourselves and uh, bring back to the cars. But obviously, it was uh, was also really hot, so we we consumed a, a lot of bottles during the day. Yeah, it was strange because uh, when you're young, it's, it's cycling, you know, the bottles you throw to people and they're super happy to have it. And uh, like stopping doing this was pretty weird. But the fact of wearing masks since uh, mainly, I don't know exactly the rules in uh, other countries uh, in Europe, but yeah, we use masks almost everywhere, you know. So 
it was just something we uh, we had already experienced at home uh, on the supermarket on the airport so it was not like that crazy thing that you will lose your mind for um, but the bidons was pretty strange for me and um, of course also saying no to people who was asking uh, for some autograph it's weird but it has to be this way especially if you don't have any gel with you to to clean up your your hands after so yeah there are some differences that's for sure and uh, of course in the in the race as well you don't expect anymore anybody give you a push during a climb so this is something <laughs> we won't be so funny for the sprinters in the in the upcoming races. Now, so far, I think you've done what uh, Vuelta a Burgos, uh, Milano Torino, and uh, Milano San Remo. How was the uh, Milano San Remo course this year? Because it was different, wasn't it? Yeah, I would say the the parkour, the feeling at the end was more or less the same. A different approach, of course, because um, I think we we reached Imperia. That is usually is after the Capi in. Uh, more like in a bunch, more uh, more together. Even uh, if the race was a little bit harder before, but the entrance of the city was a little bit messy. And usually with the copy, you know, the, the descent just put the, the, the peloton in a line. So it's not so much stress. Um, was different, but the, obviously the main difference was the was the heat and the temperature. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of uh, warm temperature, so I was quite struggling i would say it's one of my first and my favorite races so yeah i knew that it would have been really hard with the heat and i was hoping to reach the the, the seaside and being a, a little bit more fresh but actually it was even worse than before but the new parkour was yeah different i would say i hope the next year will uh, will come back because as you can see it didn't change the race actually because this is the poggio uh, everything is on the poggio and I think, uh, yeah, it always be like this. Even if your attacks from far, the race is too long, it's, it's Sanremo. So I really hope next year we come back uh, with the original parkour, which uh, which I love. And uh, of course, in uh, in March, that will be uh, really, I would be really glad for that. Uh, from what you've seen so far from sort of inside the races, um, how are things looking in terms of who's going really well? I mean, it's obvious from the Dauphiné at the moment that there are some surprises. Uh, I will say yes and no. You know, um, we knew that uh, Jumbo Visma, they really uh, grown in the last uh, couple of years in terms of preparations. If you look in terms of result after the lockdown, they, they, they are so far the best teams. Okay, they have uh, really strong personalities, but also the the, the the riders behind, you know, the ruler in uh, inside the team, they are doing really well. And uh, yeah, the results are pretty obvious because um, yeah, they won basically everything. Even like in the the, the episode with Groenewegen, actually, it was a win for him. You know, even though he was probably being beaten by Jakobsen, but still he was there. So it's clear that they 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 prepared pretty well the the, the restart of the season. And uh, in terms of surprise, I will not say it's not a surprise because they're still uh, they are kind of champions up there. You know, Wood Van Aert and uh, Roglic, just to name uh, two of them. Uh, uh, we knew they were there. And uh, if you look even in Sanremo or um, the guys who are winning, still the same guys as before you know so the champions are always up there no matter what's preparation before so uh, but in terms of uh, teams yeah for sure Jumbo Visma is uh, like uh, cannibalism the, the first part of the restart and what do you know about the rest of your season do you know, you know which races you're definitely riding 
Yeah, um, more or less I will be all the time with uh, Demar. We're going to do uh, now Valonie and then um, there will be Tour de Poitou Charon in, uh, by the end of the month. Then we're going to um, do the preparation for the Giro. So normally it will be Luxembourg, but yeah, of course, uh, everything can change because also we don't know uh, which races are going to be there. Uh, so we for sure need to be uh, ready to, to some uh, change in the schedule. In the race schedule, and yeah, as personally, I just hope that the Giro will be there. We don't know yet if there will be a second wave of the virus or not. I hope not for everybody, not just for cycling, obviously. And it's pretty tight now in August because we're racing a lot. And then, yeah, September is going to be a little bit more more light in terms of uh, number of racing. And um, yeah, it's going to be all for the Giro to, to try to, to get the most out of it. I imagine that the cancellation of the uh, world's road race must have caused some disappointment amongst uh, the teams as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm honest. I'm like I'm 80 kilo guy. So yeah, <laughs> I don't care that much. <laughs> it was not for me anyway. <laughs> for sure, in terms of uh, cycling, it's... Uh, it can be for the image of cycling. Uh, uh, it's like a tradition in all the worlds. Always been it's the worlds. Is the when you give the jersey that you you can keep the um, all the year. So I hope they will find a solution. I think there are many options on the on the table because um, I saw also some Italian organizer are ready to try to to, to organize it. I hope also that uh, this um, event, this uh, special event, which is uh, the worlds, can change its. Uh, way of uh, being organized because it's clear that in the last years not many um, people were able to do it in terms of uh, what how much it costs uh, what it takes to organize it so i don't want uh, our sport to go in a position where you have just a couple of people who can organize the worst so it has to be back in something more like um, open so having more chances to have more organizer ready to 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 host the worst and yeah we were hoping during the lockdown that this um, this year would have changed it. UCI doesn't seem so. So let's see how we, how we roll during the next few months. How have the last few months uh, been for you? How, how did you cope with the the quarantine and the lockdown and the and the pandemic? You know, I'm coming from. Um, it was the fourth uh, uh, province in um, in Italy by the term numbers of uh, death. So, but I'm living in the countryside, so um, I was not feeling that much of um, what was happening around. I was having my daughter, which is, uh, she's three years old. And uh, so I was like in a bubble, you know, I was spending so much time with her, which is not usually you don't have so much time, you know, it was, uh, was long, long time ago since I was able to stay home more than two months consecutively without an injury, obviously. And um so since there were um, there were no races around, everybody was at home or anyway was uh, was not racing. For me, I have to say, was uh, was a really good time. I had to I had the time to uh, re recharging my my battery mentally and physically. Also, our team was not uh, pushing us to to do every day um, a virtual race or whatever. So it was really cool down uh, everything and. Um, yeah, personally, it was a really good time. I think before this, I was unsure how many years to continue or uh, what to do in the future. And it was time to, you know, just think seriously and without any stress about that. It helped me a lot to just uh, have more um, clear ideas in my mind. So, yeah, this is a, a purely egoistic point of view because clearly there were people dying all over. But as for me, it was a good time. So 
I had the chance to, to, to stay home, be safe. All my family were safe. Also, our team was safe. So uh, all the salary were, were arriving in time. And um, definitely, it was good to be home, really. What races are you really looking forward to in this sort of rest of the year? This year, we were already started with a new approach in the team and uh, Demar, um, the world lead out, I will say. Like, um, instead of focusing uh, on uh, a certain um, race, we were like, we want to win. It's actually um, more a sprinter's mentality, you know, like uh, I went win and win a lot and no matter where. That was our, um, our attitude since the beginning. So we don't have any, any um, red circle on the calendar. Yes, Sanremo was a, was a first important step, but uh, the target is to win uh, as much as we can. Of course, uh, the next big or like I would say, like um, the most important race we're gonna we're gonna approach is gonna be the Giro. So winning in the Giro that would be that would be really great because we did last year. We want to replicate again, and uh, and for sure we we also. We also want to be in the, in the match for the, for the point jersey, which uh, for us is not like, even in this case, it's not a, a target, but it has to be a consequence. So if we're going to be good, we're going to be there also for the jersey. Okay, Giacomo, thank you for joining us on the podcast and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Jacobo Guarneri and Jacobo's series of articles, Diary of a Quarantine Cyclist, are available to read on the Ruler website, along with a whole collection of other great content and the Ruler shop, where you can buy some of the best cycling brands in the world, copies of the magazine, or even better, take out a subscription. You're listening to Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. So I'm Toby Taupitz, the CEO and co-founder of Lacquer. We've been going for over two years by now, and we can confidently say that we are 25% cheaper than our competitors. So you save money with Lacquer while getting a unique and much better experience. One thing we're really, really proud of is that we're doing all claims in-house. So when you file a claim with us, it doesn't go to a third-party administrator in the middle of nowhere. It sits with us, with our claims handlers, who are no insurance people, but are actual um, bike mechanics. Fairly unique, we believe, and that really gives us a unique take on the customer experience. We're all living longer. That's the good news. The less good news is that the quality of those extra years is not always great. Older people are increasingly afflicted by chronic illness, which leaves them dependent on medication. Well, one man who's devoted much of his life and work to tackling this issue is Dr Norman Lazarus. At 84, he's still remarkably active. He may not be taking on the 600-kilometre Audax rides, which he enjoyed a few years ago, but his weekly mileage still puts many of us to shame. He's written a book subtitled How to Age Well and Wisely, which explains how the rest of us can keep cycling and stay healthy past our expected sell-by dates. What's surprising is that Dr. Lazarus didn't really start cycling until relatively late in his life. I was in my 50s. I just lost a lot of weight because I had been overweight in my early 50s. And I just lost a lot of weight. But I'd always been active. And I'd always been active in doing walking with my wife, which I really enjoy. And I had tried various other sports. I tried squash, which was okay, but I was not a natural squash player. I tried some skiing, but as I said, skiing in Britain is very 
hard to do on a year-round basis. And then I found the bike and I thought, ah, oh, why don't I do some cycling in order to get some exercise in? So I just took the bike. I can't remember, I was 50, 55, I can't remember exactly, but certainly in the mid-50s. And it was an old bike. It was nothing special. It was just a little commuter bike for my son. And I went around the block. And of course, if you do that, you discover the world is not flat. And if you haven't been cycling for some time, as I had never been cycling for ages, I was sort of knocked right out, you know, whoa. But what I liked about it was the speed with which you could go, which allowed you to cover distance, but at a pace which still kept you in touch with the environment around you. You know, I haven't got exactly the physique for a champion cyclist. I haven't got the long legs or whatever it is, but I just felt comfortable on the bike. And so the enjoyment of cycling, feeling comfortable, that's what pulled me into cycling. And you discovered a talent for riding long distances at a steady speed. Yeah, I did a lot of charity rides. You know, I, they, they must still have them on where they go from North London to Oxford. I remember with one. And the nice thing about those rides, of course, you've got the whole day. It's all on your own time. The routes are marshaled so you know where to go and they control the traffic. So as a neophyte cyclist, they were the most enjoyable rides that I could indulge in without feeling unsafe or in any way worried or about the traffic. I did those and a friend of mine mentioned, oh, he was going on a 200K ride why don't I join Ardax? And I thought, oh, well, why not? And then I joined Ardax. And so I began to do the Ardax rides. And again, I found that that suited me. I'm not a competitive cyclist at all. I like challenging myself, but I've got absolutely no need to want to beat anybody or come first or whatever it is. Ardax simply says, you've got upper and lower speeds this is the time you need to complete the distance. And it doesn't matter whether you come in first, middle or last, you have completed the, the, the distance. And that has suited me absolutely. Now, reading your book, um, it seems to me that one of the central themes is that in Western society in particular, we treat ageing as a disease in itself. And there is this attitude that there's nothing to be done except kind of prescribing drugs to offset issues, which are actually, in a lot of cases, caused by lifestyle. You've got it in one. I mean, the idea of lifestyle having being able to influence the way you age is not new the one of the first uh, absolute reports that i remember was published in about 1953 so how long is that that's 50 about 70 years where it's been known that the way you exercise the way you live your life can in fact affect the way you age i'm unsure why it hasn't penetrated into the 
medical professions. I have my theory and my theory is that when you go to medical school, you only learn about disease. You are educated as I was in order to be able to do, do something for people who come to you with, have a, with, with a disease. And if you have a look at the medical textbook, for example, you will never find a chapter on healthy living or healthy aging. It's all disease oriented. That drives a certain perception then of what aging is because you always come into contact with people who have the disease. Healthy aging as a topic is not in the medical curriculum. And then there's also another very, very big problem. If you begin to think of aging as being disease oriented, if you get a disease, you are sent to somebody who's a specialist in your disease. If you get a heart disease, you go to a cardiologist and I don't have to follow through, you know exactly what I mean. But aging and healthy aging is not divided into separate organs. Aging is a total body, mental, integrated function. So what difference can an average person make to the way they age? And, and when should they start? You should start always as soon as possible. I started properly at 55. but And in fact, as you can see in my book, I address people 50 or 5 beyond. But you should start as early as possible. The answer is that we should remember our heritage, right? who we are. You'd think of us sort of like animals, I suppose, at the lowest thing. And you think, why do animals need exercise to stay healthy? But they do. And we know that. And we accept that. We will take a horse and make sure it's out there and exercise. We will take a dog and make sure it needs. And everybody will tell you, exercise yours, exercise your dog. We need exactly the same thing because exercise is not something that we apply externally. Exercise is riveted into our DNA. It's what made us human. It's what made the species to survive. Because without exercise, we would never have caught prey and we would have died. So if you start as early as possible, then you're going to make the most benefit of applying these lifestyle changes to the way you conduct your life. And it has been shown, for example, if we take people in hospital, there's a beautiful Spanish study which shows that if you take 92-year-olds and you exercise them and you compare them to 92-year-olds who you didn't exercise, there is enormous difference in the way the two people, the two groups respond to the disease that they've got and to treatment. So it shows you that a little exercise can make a big difference, but it's got to be exercise on a regular basis. It's not exercise on Monday and next Thursday and when I can fit it in. It's got to be integrated into your lifestyle. In the book, you're not particularly prescriptive. I mean, you don't sort of set out a, a plan. You don't give diets, no. anything like no. that. But what you, what you say is 
do enough exercise, do it regularly and eat less and that should be it. Yeah, that's it. That I mean, what else? When you think about it, if you eat less, you immediately remove. Now, when I say eat less, you've got to eat the sufficient amount in order to keep you healthy. Okay, so it's not. It doesn't mean eat less. It means eat the amount that's right for you and don't get overweight. So the eat less is don't get overweight if you know what I mean. So if you eat healthily. You get all the nutrients that your body needs. Okay, so you've solved that problem. If you exercise, then you're doing to the body, as I said, you give a, uh, adhering to its evolution, and you are ensuring that every single organ in your system is operating as optimally as possible. And then, in addition to that, you cannot do any of those things. Unless you are mentally alert, and of course, exercise influences the brain. That's for sure. It sends stimuli to the brain, and of course, the brain needs to ensure that the body, when it's exercising, is balanced. It's going up the hill. You're thinking of what's coming ahead. Shall I do this? In other words, it's a continual dialogue. And what does that mean? Well, that means your body, mind, and nutritional status is as optimal as can be. It gives you the lowest chance. It gives you the lowest probability of anything untoward happening to your body. But it also gives you the highest probability that if something does happen, you can recover. I mean, a beautiful example is say. My wife, who needed a hip operation, she went in fit. She had the operation, and she recovered reasonably and quickly as one can from a hip operation. And that was all because the body was already primed for any nasties that it may come into contact with. I'm not giving you a guarantee. Biology is so unpredictable; it's impossible to know. We are all different. We know, for example, that you can get lung cancer even though you don't smoke. But if you remove smoking, your chances, your probabilities go down. So we do that. All I'm saying to you do is, if you keep that trinity, if you keep the mind going, if you keep your body going, if you eat right, your probabilities of anything happening to you. Go down. Now it will be disappointing to many cyclists who think that、uh, because you've been on a long ride, you can then go and eat whatever you want,、um, and and you debunk that myth, don't you? We always overestimate the amount of energy we use when we exercise. If you mow Farah and you're exercising from eight in the morning until I don't know when midnight, I have no doubt. That his exercise is burning sufficient calories to keep his weight down. All right, but now we got to take an un-seventy-year-old. How much exercise can a seventy-year-old do in a week, and how much calories can they utilize when they do exercise? And the answer, in terms of the amount of calories that you're carrying around. 
the amount of calories you're using when you exercise as a normal person bears no relation to each other. You cannot do it. I've been to gyms for many years and I've noticed people come and go, especially people who are overweight, and they never stay long because their idea of linking exercise to losing weight is much too optimistic. And they expect that, ah, oh, if I just exercise here for a month, I'm going to be a slim person. No way. Whereas if you eat properly and say you are overweight, you can reduce your calorie intake by a thousand calories a day, right? A day in order to use a thousand calories a day by exercising, I estimate you'd have to do about five hours. So you see the difference? It just doesn't add up. And you are a fan of doing resistance exercise, things like weights, which, which a lot of cyclists just don't do. Now, the problem with cycling is that it's fantastic for certain muscles, but it's not for others. And it's not really bone building, if I can put it that way. So in order to ensure that you keep your bones and your muscles in a in a in a in a proper condition you need resistance exercises to those muscles you're not doing so that the whole of your physiology again you always got to look at yourself not as legs going around in a pedal or as i don't know running around the track you've got to look at yourself and saying am i exercising sufficiently for my bones not to become osteoporotic? Am I exercising sufficiently on my arms, muscles, okay, and so on. And I'm not talking about bodybuilding. I mean, forget about bodybuilding. I don't want to even talk about bodybuilding. I'm talking about ensuring that you keep your muscle structure in keeping with your lifestyle and your age. So that is the whole idea of saying why you need resistance exercises. And again, remember, half of society consists of women. And as women age, their whole physiology changes differently than in a man. And one of the things they definitely need is resistance exercises in order to ensure that both bones and muscles are maintained. Now, you're 84 now. How long do you hope to continue cycling regularly, if that's not a, an awkward question? No, it's not. I, as I get older, and especially now when I'm entering, where, where am I in my ninth decade? I think, yeah, I think it's the ninth decade. With my background, with my medical background, with my scientific background, with my being actually a subject of my own research, I see that I am going down in a controlled manner, but nevertheless, I'm going down. There's going to be a time when, of course, I've reached whatever average age people reach now, somewhere around 90 or something. And because of that, I'm able without getting upset, can I put it in those terms? Yes, I accept I'm going down. So I accept I've got to 
change the distances I cycle. I've got to change the speed that I cycle. But that's not the point. The point is I enjoy cycling. So I come from it from a totally different thing. So I'm going to do what I enjoy as long as possible. The distance and the speed are just secondary to that emotion that I have. And that is why I keep trying to emphasize you must not do mindless physical activity. Pick something that you enjoy because you're going to have to do it for the rest of your life. And that allows you to approach these last decades with equanimity, that it allows you to know, yes, I am failing, but the enjoyment remains. Well, The Lazarus Strategy by Dr. Norman Lazarus is published on the 13th of August by Yellow Kite. Um, Dr. Lazarus, thank you for joining us on the Ruler Podcast. It's a real inspiration. Long may you continue to ride your bike. Thank you very much. Dr. Norman Lazarus, who after that interview was planning to go out and ride his age in kilometres. And that's it from this Ruler Conversations. There's a Ruler Long Reads along next week. Until then, take care. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 